Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTV buddies. Today, I've got Walter Gottlieb on the show. Walter spent a good portion of his life working as a media producer, writer, and director for some media outlets that you might recognize, like HGTV, The History Channel, PBS, CBS, TLC, Lifetime. Did a lot of great nonfiction stuff and won some awards, including an Emmy. And then a little bit later in life, just like me, decided that he wanted to start doing stand-up comedy. And now he is doing stand-up comedy in the Washington, D.C. area and is also producing his own shows. So he's putting all the effort that he used to put into the film producing into comedy and doing a great job at it. And uh, his own shows are doing very well. It was great to catch up with somebody I met on the Internet and learn a little bit more about them. So here's Walter Gottlieb. It's a good one. Hey, Walter, how are you? I am doing great. I'm really excited to be with you, Scott. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about because we both started comedy later in life and talk about the pros and cons of that because uh, there, there are some pros and definitely some cons, too. <laughs> We could also talk about our days in vaudeville if you want. Yeah, yeah, if you we want. That, yeah, you know, <laughs> inventing the wheel and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I used to drive a car with my feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So I told you before we started recording that I I, I kind of deep dive and I uh, Google stalk people before I have them on the show. And one of the things I've never seen you mention, we've been friends on Facebook for a while. We've been friends on uh, Instagram, Instagram for a while. Yeah. And yeah. so we've interacted and I've never seen you mention that you um, have won awards such as an Emmy for your uh, writing and producing and directing. Can you can you tell me a little bit about that life? Because I, I, I think, uh, first off, it's very interesting. And uh, second off, it's... Uh, I, I, I think it's interesting you don't talk about it. The, the, it's something that doesn't come up in, uh, in like when you sent me your bio. That that wasn't part of your bio. So I just kind of wanted to get get uh, the history of Walter before we get into the comedy part. You know, that's really interesting because I never really thought of it as germane or relevant to my comedy. Now i got to rethink that, yeah. Scott. Well, thank you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was in nonfiction television and video for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. So I did everything, PSAs, labor union videos, corporate videos. I ran my own production company. I did programming for the nonfiction networks like Animal Planet and Travel Channel and History Channel. I did my own documentaries on PBS uh -huh. that, that won some awards. And so, yeah, I was in that game for a long time and I got out of it in 2015 when the bottom kind of fell out of the nonfiction market here in Washington, D.C. and kind okay. of gravitated elsewhere. Yeah, okay. And what got you started doing that? Was that something that you had planned on doing as a young man, or did you find your calling in another way? Now, that is germane to comedy, and yeah. thank, you. <laughs> thank you for asking, because I grew up watching television uh -huh. as as you did too and and a lot of people our age did that was a lot of our life was watching television i just loved it and i started visiting television studios when i was a teenager and i knew i wanted to be in television and i went to nyu and mm -hmm. and went to tisch school of the arts for film and television 
and I started off wanting to be a director of game shows and soap operas. There you go. <laughs> but you, <laughs> but you do change, you do evolve. And by the time I was a senior, I was really into politics, public affairs, and news. Mm-hmm. And that's so I went into nonfiction television, and I stayed for about thirty years. That's great. What What are you most proud of from from those thirty years? Really, truly, it was the the passion projects that I did. I got to do several documentaries on PBS about things that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. So I did a history of our hometown of Silver Spring, Maryland. I did a history that involved the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad. I did a kind of big splashy documentary about the composer lyricist of Guys and Dolls, Frank Lesser, and Mm -hmm. many other uh, Broadway musicals and Hollywood scores that was on over 300 PBS stations around the country. I'm really proud of those. I'm also really proud of the labor union videos I did because, you know, we helped organize some factories and we helped motivate some workers and get the union to more market share. And mm-hmm. I'm really proud of that because I feel like it made a difference. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I went through your site pretty closely. And, uh, those, those are, I, I mean, it's really neat that you were able to do that for such a long period of time. And then we come to comedy. So the, the stand up as, as you mentioned, started in your mid fifties and why? Well, okay. So I kind of, you know, I grew up on stand up, right. Uh-huh. You know, watching, uh, Carlin and Robin Williams and Steve Martin, some of whom I saw live mm-hmm. and then later Seinfeld and, and all the others. And so I really dug stand up and mm-hmm. I went to a lot of stand up shows, but I never had the cojones to try it. Mm-hmm. I always thought, man, it would be too intimidating to be heckled. It would be too intimidating to not get laughs. And so, but then I was out riding my bicycle in 2019 on a on a trail near home, and a joke came to me. I'm like, "Hmm, maybe I could do this." And it actually, I actually did. That's great. And I guess one thing that we probably have in common: by the time you hit your 50s, you just don't care as much if you bomb. <laughs> You're like, fuck it. Yeah, I mean. I don't care if I look like an idiot. I mean, you know, I I, I think about it. Somebody asked me about that one time, and, you know, I'm like, you know, I've uh, I've buried relatives. I've buried friends. My, You know, I've buried my best friend. And, you know, I've been through, I've I've had kids and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. uh, been married for a long, long time. You know, I've had, Mm -hmm. you know all kinds of things happen happen during those 50 years and bombing on stage is really just kind of a blip as far as far as uh uh the worst things that could happen to you so uh yeah it wasn't as big of a deal to me as it was to some of the younger comics that I worked with I mean comedy was a lot easier than my vasectomy yeah i bet you no know? <laughs> So, you know, I'm just saying I, I'm right there with you about that. Yeah. You do feel like you have been through a lot of things and you have less to lose and you might develop some more confidence. And the, and the odd thing is I'm still dread, dreading being heckled. I prepared for it. I've trained for it, but I've never been heckled. Yeah. <laughs> and that was one of my biggest fears. I got heckled one time and one of the other comics uh, was in the audience and just came to my defense. I didn't have to do oh, anything. Nice. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> she, she shut him down. So All right. I, yeah. She's your guardian angel and protector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, that was a nice moment. Um, So let's think about that first time you went on stage. So you're you're riding your bike and and you get the the uh, bee in your bonnet to get up there. And you know what did you do? So I started googling, you know, how to be a stand up comic in the Washington D.C. area, and there was a a company, you know, or an organization that was doing comedy at an Italian restaurant. They had a nice setup mm-hmm. in Bethesda, Maryland, and the fellow was offering three-minute newbie slots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had to bring 10 people or something. I ended up bringing, like, 15. And then if you do well on that, you get to do five minutes. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to bring anybody. And so I did those two, and I don't know, something clicked, man. Like, that audience was just right 
for my sensibility and I did really well. And, you know, of course, that was setting me up for the first time I bombed. Of course, yeah. But, you know, a few <laughs> weeks later, you think, oh, I'm the shit. You yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm grateful for that opportunity. It literally was a newbie, two newbie slots mm-hmm. to let you get your feet wet. And that was invaluable. Mm-hmm. And I got up there and I told my jokes and it was, you know, my my set has changed a little bit since then. But did really well now your point of view i got to watch some of your clips your point of view is somewhat similar to mine in the you know you address the age part because a lot a lot of the a lot of the audience probably especially in the dc area are younger and uh and uh not you know not our age groups so uh you said a mouthful there yeah no no doubt yeah so very perceptive so so doing that um how do you feel that you are able to draw in that younger audience by using the age references and and how how in general do you think you're able to draw them in gee that's a good question i mean i feel like the best way to draw in the younger people is to talk about my children. You know, I have yeah. three daughters uh, ranging from 19 to 28. Mm-hmm. So there's obvious comedic potential there. Right. In the generation gap, in my befuddled attempts to understand yep. them and their subculture. Lot, and, I, and I make myself the butt of the jokes. Yeah. So uh, younger audiences tend to, tend to dig that. They they tend to like if I make pop cultural references and work those in, um, which I do quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I try. It's funny. I try not to talk about my own sexual experiences because I feel like those would gross them out. So <laughs> it's not. It's not that I won't use some sexual humor, but I'll couch it in more general terms because mm. I don't think they want to hear you know, somebody, their dad or grandpa's age talking about their sex life. Yeah. I could yeah. be wrong, <laughs> yeah. but um, that's one way. And I can't say that I have found the magic bullet to draw young audiences in. Sometimes I do better with older audiences and yeah. sometimes, sometimes I do better with the younger ones though. It's yeah. that alchemy. It's that magic of the audience that I haven't figured out. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's tough, especially when it's a blended audience, because you're trying to relate to both sides. And it's, I, I guess, the, um, the the way I do it is I use a lot of uh, young terminology wrong, uh-huh. and and uh-huh. by doing that, the, the the kids are going, look at that dummy, you know, he's he's uh, he's 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 trying to talk like us, but he's just wrong, you know. Well, hit me yeah. like you're saying straight fire and lit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Proof that. What do What are you saying? Tell well, me. Well, yeah. I refer to my uh, wife as my my bay, my shorty, and my boo, <laughs> and and I say it pretty much like that instead of oh, instead of saying it like a young person, and then I say, you know, we we're in love AF and uh, <laughs> always and forever, and yeah, I, I I've had. <laughs> I've had a few others, but yeah, when the when there's a younger audience there, I I try to put that in, and it doesn't alienate the people my age because the it's not it's not the punchline. It's just a word that I'm using in the setup, so it 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 works. That's fun. That is funny. Yeah, I mean, and also I make like I said, it makes some references like to the to the bachelor or married at first sight Mm -hmm. or some of these uh, Bridgerton, whatever, some of these shows that, that my daughters watch and, and, you know, watch and we watch with her, with them. Thank God. So I can get my my education, (laughs) but I love what you're doing there. That's really funny. Yeah. Do you ever, uh, do you ever try to uh, crowdsource TV shows that are old, but everybody knows so that you can reference your age, like a Gilligan's Island or something like that? Well, I try to be careful because believe it or not, like in water cooler conversations over the years with younger colleagues in the office, I'm surprised with what they have not heard of. I know. Yeah. You know, and so I try to be careful. Like, I'd love to make Mr. Ed jokes. Yeah. You know, or something like that. But I don't feel that 
than anybody will get that. Like I, I was talking probably in 2015 to a colleague in her twenties and I made, so we, we talked about Mary Tyler Moore, who she'd heard of. And I'm like, not to mention Rhoda and yeah, withdrew a blank. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and I remember that same, it was the, one of the last jobs I had in television. It was at a production company and somebody said something about the loneliest uh, no somebody said something about the number one and i said well you know one is the loneliest number <laughs> blank stares <laughs> so it reminds yeah, it's like i just try to be super careful and not assume yeah that people have heard anything i you know i'm very i like to follow the news i like to tell political jokes mm. but i mean i was at a bar in dc and i preface it by saying anybody watch cnn one person yeah yeah one person out of the whole bar. This is Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. You'd figure they'd be hip to the news, but yeah. no. I'm careful. Yeah, I and I've experienced the same thing as far as TV shows. None of them, the, you know, how about Dukes of Hazard? Nope. How about the Waltons? Nope. Oh, for How about Little House on the Prairie? Nope. None, none and of you know that. What's, and you know what's interesting? How old are your kids? Uh, 30 and 20, no, 31 and 28. Okay. So probably the, here's the thing. They don't necessarily know old television, but they know old music, yeah. right? Oh, they yeah. know the Stones and the Eagles and Zeppelin mm-hmm. and, and uh, Aerosmith and Queen and ACDC. So that provides some fertile ground Yeah, because you can go back 50 fucking years. Yeah. And because of, because of all the music apps and all the streaming apps, it's still in the bloodstream. Yeah. So yep. the cultural bloodstream. So they know that stuff. Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. They don't know room 222. No, no. But my daughter, <laughs> my daughter did see Fleetwood Mac twice in the same year. So they, she's definitely, see, she understands the classic rock. See that there. Yeah. Now thinking about, you've been doing this long enough that you've, um, You've written enough stuff that probably hasn't worked, uh, just like <laughs> I have. Just you know, just like that that you wanted to work and you thought was funny, and you thought you know this right. is going to be the right. sub. You know, this is going to start my next twenty minutes. You know, this is so right. good, and it just right. fall. You just fall on your face with it. You can't get anybody right. to laugh to right. save your life. Do you have right. any examples of things that you have written that you just thought were the bee's knees, and it turned out just to turned out to fall flat on you absolutely and i mean it goes right back to what we were just talking about so i was at a bar you know that has a nice stage and lighting Mm -hmm. and sound in dc called the ugly mug Mm -hmm. where i performed a bunch of times and i had invited um a bunch of neighbors to come see me mm-hmm. and i had one of my weakest <laughs> sets ever yeah. with like 15 neighbors in the audience and everybody was kind of young but i told this joke that i thought was going to be hilarious and I, and it's true i said um i grew up in the first integrated neighborhood in washington dc shepherd park the first racially integrated neighborhood uh-huh. um blacks and whites living together in harmony for a while for this golden period. And that basically meant that, you know, all the white kids watch soul train, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> You're laughing maybe to be polite or cause you at least get, what no, I, I get it. For. Yeah. Yeah. But then, <laughs> that was, <laughs> you know, I felt like, uh, Alvy singer in, uh, Annie Ooh. hall when he's with Diane Keaton's family, Woody Allen's character. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I hear you're in therapy for 15 years. Yeah, but after 14, they let you take off the lobster bib. And they all stare at him blankly, you know. So that was an example of a joke that didn't work. I I really I wish I could pull some others off the top of my head. I should have I should be able to, but I got the middle aged brain. But sure, right. I mean I've had jokes that I thought were going to be hilarious, and they fall completely flat. And mm-hmm. some of them you go, "Oh, could I tweak this somehow? What's wrong with it?" And I'll, you probably do the same thing. Like I'll uh, consult my comedy friends and say, "Is this fixable?" Yeah. Uh, don't you do that too, or do you just give up right fucking away? Well, it, <laughs> it depends on how married I am to the joke. If I, if I feel like it really could be something, then I'll, 
I'll pull people. But if, if, if I tried it and I didn't care that much about it and it doesn't work, then I just file it. But, and, and and I think this goes into one of the pros of starting later in life. So Mm -hmm. we've, we've Mm -hmm. both been, you know, I've, I've been in business and you've been in show business and Mm -hmm. we've, we, we've had our share of ups and downs in that. Mm-hmm. And you know, you got to be kind of brutal to succeed in anything you do. You have to be brutal on yourself. And, and having that, I, I guess, being able to uh, be self aware enough to know that, hey, just because that joke isn't good doesn't mean you're not good. So you can, you can keep writing. And one of the things I noticed early on is young comics, they do get married to those jokes and they keep trying and trying and trying. And sometimes, you know, I've seen jokes said at 15 different shows that just fall flat and they're not self-aware. The kids aren't self-aware enough to know that this joke just isn't going to make it. And I yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's one advantage that we have is is that we can we can look at it from I, I guess a more critical eye, um, without uh, with with without um, any any coloring to it. I guess. Well, well, all your life, right? You're throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. You're yeah. looking for a partner, or a mate. You're throwing stuff at the wall. Yeah. You're, you know, I I was in. Uh, community theater for a long time so you're you're auditioning and trying stuff or as an actor you're trying stuff with you know you're pitching ideas at work Mm -hmm. you're looking for jobs you're thinking of what to say in an interview so in a job interview so we have a lot of experience of throwing shit at the wall Mm -hmm. and so yes we can we can say that isn't working let's discard it because Mm -hmm. we're also used to being uh I don't know what your field is, and I'd love to know, but, I mean, mine still involves writing, editing, shooting videos, and, and there's a critique process from higher-ups, clients, yeah, you know. And, and so you're used, to, you're used to getting feedback and refining stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to speak for all young people, but I have noticed some of what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I think that's a definite pro that, you know, we've been – we've been able to fail enough times that we, that we understand that, uh, uh, that joke is just a very small failure and it can go away and we don't have to lose any sleep over it. Well, but of course I'm, I'm Jewish. So, you know, (laughs) we tend to be a glass half full people. So I could have a killer set. And if one joke falls flat, I'll go home and go, oh, God damn it, that joke didn't work. Uh-huh. But, but everything else did, I know, but that joke. And and getting back to what you were saying about the ones that just completely bomb. So I have a therapist. I actually have an Orthodox Jewish therapist, uh-huh. which I talk about in the set. You know, it's like, I, I don't know what he looks like uh, because we do all our sessions through a hole in a sheet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but but uh, he, you know, I'll talk to him about comedy because I'm Jewish and neurotic and that's what my therapy sessions are about. And he'll say, yes, but Walt, do you enjoy telling that joke? The hell with whether they laugh. Do you enjoy it? I'm like, I do. Well, try to dwell in that. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work, too. I need the laugh. I need the laugh. Yeah. Motherfuckers! What, yeah. you, what was your like day job? So or- I've I've always been well. I've been in sales for probably the last thirty years, uh, and okay. I, okay. for the first time, I'm actually not in sales, and it's IT related. So it, it's um, I'm actually took on a more technical role um, because through osmosis, I've learned a lot. So I'm not technically in sales anymore. So it's kind of weird. But uh, sales is just, it's just rejection every talk day. Brutal. So, yeah, yeah. Talk yeah. about brutal. Yeah. How could you not? I could never be a salesperson because I would take every loss of a sale too personally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, you know the, ugh, I, hats off to you. By the way, I want to say um, I am a big fan of this podcast and I've been listening for a while. Wow. Thank and uh, not trying to blow smoke, but I like, you know, I like your style and I like the way you draw people out. And I've learned a lot from it. Oh, good. And I've learned a lot. There was a, geez, I'm so bad with names, but there was a 
youngish female comedian who said that she had been doing comedy for a while. And then and then a, a, a club, another producer said, your problem is you're trying to sound like a comedian. Oh, yeah. That and was Lice, like, Lice Larrabee. Like, yeah. Yeah. She was fantastic. And I was like, oh, my God, I do that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then and then when Barry Cat said, you know, listen, nobody in the comedy clubs gives a fuck about your feelings or what you're feeling about anything. That was a big revelation, you know? So I have learned a lot and I, you know, I like to talk up this show. So hats off to you. Well, I appreciate that. And one of the things I want to talk about my, my daughter lives in falls church. So I'm, I'm familiar and we go to DC quite a bit when we go Mm -hmm. there and DC seems to be a, even though they don't they don't call it a big comedy scene mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. all the folks from New York pass through there and mm-hmm. all the folks from Baltimore pass through there mm-hmm. so you've got a large number of people who you can mm-hmm. pull from and mm-hmm. they do they do come through on a fairly regular basis well I I wanted to get the and, and you're the first DC DC base comic I've talked to. What is oh, the cool. scene like there compared to other scenes, or just what's okay. the scene like? You are right about all the different places it pulls from, and also people drive up from Richmond, uh-huh. Virginia, which is I don't know a couple hours away. People drive up from Norfolk and Virginia Beach, which is three and a half, four hours away. Yeah, uh, people might even come in from people coming from West Virginia and Pennsylvania. Yeah you know, wow. to do a show. Yeah. So it's very thriving. Their feet, it feels to me like there's a thousand comics here. Mm-hmm. You know, I had no idea how many people were in comedy in DC when I got into it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it might be a few hundred. It's literally, <laughs> it's gotta be over a thousand. Yeah. You put your finger on something earlier. The audiences are really young, especially in DC proper. Yeah. And, you know, especially downtown especially since the pandemic, the comics are generally pretty young. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm definitely one of the older ones. Um, it, I think the challenge is, is that we only, I could be wrong, but I think we only have one legit comedy club these days, which is the improv. Mm-hmm. I think the rest are like nightclubs, restaurants, and bars. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of competition to get, the coveted slots. And I also feel like uh, there's this town is more insular in a certain way. I, I've, I think it's a little clickier Mm -hmm. than maybe than New York or LA. And uh, you know, the trick is to sort of work your way in. And ironically, sometimes it's easier for me to get booked in New York or LA than it is here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just think, and I think um, there's a little bit of ageism going on here, uh-huh. I feel, if I'm being honest. Uh, I think because the people producing and booking and hosting the shows are young. That's not to say that they're not open to booking older people. But if you look on the flyers, you're mainly looking at people in their 20s and 30s, a few in their 40s. So that's a little bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of open mics that after the pandemic or as the pandemic began to wane, there are just open mics popping up everywhere. Mm. Um, especially in Northern Virginia and DC, me and my uh, partner, Sandy Bernstein, who I think, you know, yeah. have, have started a mic in Montgomery County in the Maryland suburbs, which is uh, unusual. Mm-hmm. And we're starting another one in Columbia, Maryland. Oh, cool. Uh, which is halfway between DC and Baltimore. So it's a thriving scene um, without a lot of, Legit comedy clubs. Yeah, yeah. But lots of enthusiasm, lots of activity. Yeah. You touched a little bit on the the clickiness and of of comedy scenes. Mm-hmm. And I I came from the South Bend, Indiana area, which is oh, yeah. fairly close to Chicago. And yeah. I gotta I gotta tell you that um that scene welcomed me with open arms. They were there was not a bad experience had by anybody that I talked to there. And I, the only thing that they suggested is I, I, at the time I worked completely clean. And uh, even though I'm not a clean talker in real life, I, I, I went completely clean because it kind of just matches my looks and stuff. But in, <laughs> in, uh, 
And um, so, the, you know, they, they, they were suggesting, um, uh, uh, you know, put a fuck fuck here or there uh, in there and stuff like that. And I never did. Now I do. Um, but other than that, they accepted me for who I was. And, you know, I got booked and everything. Everything was great there. And then I came. We just moved to Huntsville last year. And different scene. And it's I don't think it's I think it may be a little clicky, but um, I think the thing is, is um, I haven't really tried. And <laughs> I, yeah, I, I did I a few open mics. I got invited to yeah. do a showcase. And then yeah. I just kind of said, you know, I, I'm, I'm wrapped up in this new position. The podcast is, is really, right. is really what I'm passionate about. And right. I'm just not going to do comedy for a while, but now I'm getting the itch again. And I've written a whole bunch of stuff. I, you know, I could, I, I've probably written another half hour and I, I just wow. need, I just need to start uh, trying it out. But yeah, it, it's, it's weird finding a new home uh, as far as comedy goes and, and everybody's been super nice to me. It's just, I haven't, I really knew everybody I worked with in the South Bend area. I, I haven't really gotten to know people here. And, uh, so I haven't really found my tribe yet, you know? Well, you see, that's the thing. It's almost like switching high schools. You know, you have to start all over again. That's yeah. what strikes me about your situation and um, I feel like that's part of what you're up against in a place like D.C., whereas if people have been doing it 10, 8, 7 years or they have their networks of friends, that's who they're going to they're going to book each other. Mm-hmm. And so you do have to get to know them yeah. and be your own advocate. And plus, man, I mean, what I have a day job and this is still a full time yeah. job between. <laughs> Between writing, performing, posting on social media, which takes a long time, yes, and then just being your own manager, mm-hmm. also trying to get trying to get gigs, mm-hmm. you know. So I understand how with your new job, your your podcast, and then having to start from scratch, how you might have been like, "Ooh, I need to," you know, yeah, <laughs> I, I need to wait a little while before I dip my toe in. Need, need to rein it in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as far as some of the, you get into the political humor a little bit, how is that being taken by the audiences these days? That's interesting. I mean, certainly when Trump was in power, it was much easier Mm -hmm. to do politics because he's such an obvious target, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I happen to like Joe Biden, but there isn't a ton of humor there. And I see people attempt it. They still play on the sleepiness. Yeah. Some of the, so the, the can I sniff your hair type inappropriateness, mm-hmm. the sort of inarticulateness. But he's nowhere near as as rich a target. Yeah. And so I think it's a little harder. You know, I used to do a lot of Bernie impressions. You know, yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, like he's he's faded now. I mean, he's the head of the Senate Finance Committee, but that's not very prominent yeah. <laughs> to the public. But, you know, I used to do, you know, Bernie doing 90s hip hop, you know, uh-huh. cruising down the street in my six four, <laughs> smacking the richest, helping the poor, you know, and audience audiences like that. The mm-hmm. boys in the hood are always hard. You know? But. <laughs> But, um, but you know, I find less and less opportunities to do that. So I feel like uh, the political humor these days is mostly just talking about it's probably more talking, poking fun at wokeness yeah. and political correctness mm-hmm. um, or defending it. Yeah. You know, neither of which I get into too much because I think it's pretty fraught for an old white guy. Yeah. Yeah. And. I I've decided the same thing, but I like to talk about it because I, I don't <laughs> think it's as, I don't think it's as black and white as so everybody says. I mean, getting canceled. <laughs> yeah. G- getting canceled for this and that. And some people do, and some people don't, I think that that, um, 
I, I, I just, I just think that there are different circumstances for every single person that's out there that may um, go over the line a little bit. And some people can be redeemed and some people can't, you know, Kevin Hart, you know, did, you know, said some uh, disparaging things about the gay community when he, when he was early on. And now, um, you know, he's an older person. He's grown. He's got kids. And, and, you know, he may do something stupid again. Who knows? But, you know, I, I, I believe in letting people grow from, from things. Now, if they do something overtly um, sexual, the, if, you know, if they hurt somebody in some way in, in an assault type thing, I, I don't know if you should be able to come back from that. You know, it's funny because... I have mixed feelings. I feel like on one hand, you shouldn't get the, the death penalty mm-hmm. for, you know, for something unless it's super serious. On the other hand, I do respect like marginal, traditionally marginalized groups yeah. wanting to be respected and not always being the butt of jokes. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you know, pun- you know, they talk a lot about don't punch down. Mm-hmm. which was a lot of the old humor. So I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I, I feel like some sensitivity and respect is called for, but I don't believe in the death penalty for every mistake. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. That, that's, that's exactly how I feel. Mm-hmm. And it really depends on the, the social media uproar on how it's taken. It, it, it's right. it, it's it's vote by Twitter and vote by Facebook and all that right. kind of stuff versus somebody actually looking at the facts because when you see an article, everybody that comments on it has only looked at the headline. They they haven't actually read the article to find out. And as always, uh, you know, a, a headline that's a clickbait headline that wants you to read it and the the substance of the article is not the same as the headline and yeah i really i i i do have trouble with uh folks just jumping right in and right on top of people for saying one wrong thing no i agree and i think that's more i mean i don't know about your experience i feel like that's more a problem on the national celebrity circuit than it is like i just don't run into that in the clubs i feel that you know, I performed in L.A., New York, Philly, mm-hmm. Washington, uh, Scranton, PA also. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, I feel like um, I'm not seeing, hearing a lot of what would be considered super offensive yeah. or cancelable. I'm hearing mostly respect. I'm not hearing a lot of, you know, I'm not hearing. Now, you know, there's the occasional, uh, you know, tends to be a guy will get up and say some things that are rapey or mm-hmm. insensitive to women. And you go like, Oh, you know, so it's like the, the movement has done a pretty good job in sensitizing us a little more to what's appropriate. Yeah. So, you know, I, but I, I don't, I don't hear. And maybe if I weren't a older white guy, I would be more attuned, but I just don't, you know, people tend to be. And also I'm working with a lot of LGBTQ comics mm-hmm you know, comics of all races and national origins. And that, of course, helps. It does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, uh, unfortunately, I mean, two of the groups that seem to still be okay to make open fun of are older people and Jews. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and so I try to, I try to push back a little, especially on the Jewish thing. Like if I can take a Jewish stereotype Uh and turn it on its head, you know, yeah. like I, I have one, you know, there's this there's this stereotype that the Jew, or there's this myth that the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. No, we mm-hmm. didn't want to kill him. We just wanted to feed him. Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> the Jewish mothers in Jerusalem were like, look at that Jesus. He's so skinny. Would it kill him to eat something? And even if he did, he'd be back in three days anyway. You yeah. know, <laughs> I like I like to turn those on their head right. because I really feel like. And people have come up to me and said apparently anti-Semitic things, you know, like before a show, uh-huh. you know, oh, Walter, I was thinking of doing a joke where, you know, um, is it, will the Jews let us say this or will the Jews 
control us today? I'm like, ha ha, that's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> and lots of, you know, I, I've had all sorts of old, old jokes thrown at me and, you know, casually or, yeah. you know, so I, I don't know. It seems like it's still cool to. Yeah. To yeah. And, and you don't like hearing it, but by hearing it, you do like to know where you stand as far as other people think, you know what I mean? Right. Cause sure. when, cause if, if one person is allowed is saying it out loud, then, you know, there's a hundred more that are thinking it and not saying anything. And that means that you, right. you have to work right. harder to break down those, the, those types of stereotypes. And really in right. your humor, right. I, right. I, you know, in watching you, my favorite stuff is when you're um, either talking about your age and, and mm -hmm. doing self-deprecating stuff for your family mm -hmm. and things mm -hmm. like that. The really personal mm -hmm. stuff is the stuff that really hits with me. And, okay. um, and, and and that is it's not political. Um, I mean, you you do talk about you, uh, being a Jew sometimes, but oh yeah, uh, and it's and and that's fine because that's part of who you are. But if if I go up and and uh, make jokes about the Jewish faith, it doesn't. It's it's no good or or any stereotypes. It it doesn't work. Just like if you if you go up and talk about uh, bald, tall, goofy guys, then uh, it's not going to hit either. <laughs> no, I agree. No, and 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 you want. I mean, you know, I think it's a pretty good rule of thumb that it's better to make fun of your own kind or your own culture. Mm -hmm. with love or your own appearance than it is for other people to do that right and th that self-deprecating humor but the rest is just mean mm -hmm. in my opinion yeah, <laughs> yeah. so so yeah. i agree with that and uh yeah so what get, getting off that topic that was fun but getting off that topic you you've been doing comedy for a relatively short period of time and you've right. you've been kind of all over i mean you've done you've done some right. pretty prestigious rooms and stuff like that yep. what would yep. what, what would you say is your best moment uh doing stand up that's a really good question i think my best moment so far was at greenwich village comedy club last december where it was a packed house and it had young people and older people mm -hmm. and people of different uh, ethnicities. And I just killed. Uh -huh. And that was a great feeling to have that, you know, you have in your head, like if you're watching, if you grew up watching Carlin, mm -hmm. Steve Martin, Pryor, Robin Williams, Seinfeld later, like they go in and command a room and like, as a young, as a starting off comic, not a young one, but a new one, you don't have that experience a lot. Mm -hmm. So when you get that, oh, I'm vibing with the audience and they're right there with me, you know, yeah. that's a tremendous, yeah, uh, that's a tremendous high. Uh -huh. And another moment, though, that I'm proud of is when I think I was hosting a Zoom show and some Canadian guy, white guy, used the N word. And I was able to push back on him, but in a funny way. Uh -huh. I'm proud when I can stand up for that sort of thing yeah. without being an asshole about it. Right. But, I mean, those were those were two proud moments, yeah. you know. I mean, another one was just this weekend. My, my middle daughter is very entrepreneurial, and she puts on a lot of events, and she held a, an artistic open mic in, in Greenbelt, Maryland, and you know, a lot, most of the people were in their early twenties uh -huh. and they were so with me and I with them. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, everybody's like, that was, you were hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I don't usually get that response from people who are 22. Yeah. I love, I love it when the really young right. ones are. So I don't know. That was a great intergenerational moment. Uh -huh. You know, I don't know. It's like, um, one of my mentors talks about interior delivery, which means you're basically saying, I'm going to tell you my story, and if you don't get it, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still standing in my truth, and it's funny. Yeah. I like to get laughs, man. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I like to make people laugh yeah. and I like to get laughs. And I feel like, you know, a lot of, some of my mentors have pushed against that. And I'm like, but isn't that part of the point? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or am I just a whore? <laughs> I don't know. So I, I wanted to, I, I haven't talked to uh, anybody about starting an open mic for a while. Can you tell me how not, it's uh, evil, bad kitty, the one, the, the one okay. that you've got going now, not, not the new one. So can you tell me how that came about and how you made it happen uh, sure. from, from nothing? Sure. Okay. So Sandy Bernstein, who is a established comic here in the DC Baltimore area, she appears all over the place. She's about the same age as me. Mm. Um, you know, she, she's, she's like your. She calls herself like you never thought your woman studies teacher would have this kind of a mouth on her. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so she's like everybody's favorite aunt you uh. know, without children. So anyway, yeah, she'll say like do you want to hear about my grandchildren? And everybody go, yeah, I don't have any fucking grandchildren. <laughs> I don't even have children. So anyway, Sandy's one of my earliest comedy friends. And she said, you know, I want to get something going. I want to get a micro showcase going and I need a partner. And I'm like, let, let me be your partner. Mm -hmm. And so for a year we spent looking for venues. And I got to tell you in, in Washington, DC, there's tons of venues that want comedy that get it mm -hmm. in Northern Virginia. Same thing in our neck of the woods. No, the, the, a lot of the bar and restaurant owners don't get it or they feel they don't need it. But we finally <laughs> through some networking landed on this pizzeria in, in Rockville, Maryland, mm -hmm. which is outside DC. And we're like, okay, we're going to start one of the first regular mics in Montgomery County, Maryland, mm -hmm. which is an affluent, you know, well-educated county, and, uh, you know, it's a struggle. Like, the, the, the first time we did it, the owner wasn't that happy with it. The second time, he was thrilled. Uh -huh. you know, we almost gave up, you know. And uh, the reason, and we're about to start this other one in Columbia where, where we just inherited a venue from somebody who's moving to a better one. Oh, okay. They're moving their showcase to a better venue, and we're going to start an open mic. And um, the, the way I think it was, we succeeded from the get-go because of lessons learned, right? Uh -huh. First of all, between us, we have a lot of comedy experience. I was a television and video producer, so I know how to produce shit. Mm -hmm. We watched and learned from the successes of some of our friends in the area, and they were very open. You know, there's, there's Adam's Bomb comedy, there's Dead Horse comedy, there's another there's a couple more in northern virginia and these good friends would just share their best practices mm -hmm. and so right out of the gate you know we did well and i'm just surprised it was like a build it and they will come like right. the last one we did we had all ages all ethnicities a full house everybody did well wow the, nobody nobody bombed yeah it was fantastic and we're like <laughs> All we had to do was build this thing and you know, the list fills up. And one thing that we decided was we would cap the list in the low twenties uh -huh. because maybe it's because of my age, but I can't do the three and a half hour. Yeah. Mike on a Friday night, mm -hmm. you know, it kills me. So, you know, we fill up and that's a nice feeling. And people be like, Oh, am I too late for evil bad kitty? Yeah. <laughs> this time, <laughs> but I will put you on the list for next time. Yeah. You're in. And it makes, it gives it a little bit of an exclusive feel when you, when you keep it, the countdown to in, in the twenties. Yeah. And I don't like to be exclusive, but on the other hand, really it's, I hate turning people away because yeah. I don't like being turned away. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't like it when you sign up for a mic online, you're one of the first ones and they're like, sorry, you didn't get in. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we don't like to do that we're like first come first serve right you know if you sign up first you're in uh -huh. if you sign up 25th you might not be right. but next time we're going to put you on the list yeah so i mean i'm just saying i'm thrilled beyond belief at how well it's going and the hard work was just getting the venue yeah
Now, have you had any comics have that be their first mic? Yes, man. Isn't that the coolest? That was really sweet. Last time in the April mic, there was a a guy in his 20s. He's like, oh, this is my comedy debut. Uh (laughs) I'm like, that's great. And then you got people who have been doing it for 20 years in the same Uh room. So, yeah, that was great. That was a great feeling, yeah. giving some opportunity. Yeah, that's great. Now, as far as starting comedy, what, what, what have you learned about yourself that you didn't know before you started doing stand-up? Well, hmm. I mean, unfortunately, I think <laughs> that it, it, it's reinforced some of the things I knew about myself. Uh-huh. You know, for for good and for ill. I mean, I knew I was an extrovert. I was comfortable on stage because I'd done theater most of my life yeah. since I was 12 years old. Um, I knew I could be funny and make people laugh. I knew I had a gift for impressions and, you know, integrating music. But I also knew that I was insecure. I also knew that I was sensitive. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was competitive. Yeah. I knew that I was would compare myself to other people. And one of my comedy friends in LA told me, you know, Walter, compare and despair. You don't want to do that. Uh-huh. Everybody's different. I still do it, to be blatantly honest. Yeah. You know, and I knew I knew also that I was a perfectionist, which meant I I like to do things right. And so I might be hard on myself. Oh, evil bad kitties in the back. Yeah. <laughs> The real evil bad kitty. Of course, he has to insinuate himself into my interview. Yeah. What a what a mischievous pussy. <laughs> I, I I I think that uh, the cat said, "Dad is a hack," but I don't know. <laughs> right after he hacked up a hairball, yeah. he's like, "You're a hack." No, I mean, Scott, really, I, it didn't reveal anything to me that I didn't already know. It's just I'm working on trying to toughen up. Yeah. I'm working on trying to be less sensitive. I'm trying to let things go. Yeah. You know, I'm working on, I'm, I'm trying to be a, a, a good person when I deal with other comics. Mm-hmm. You know, I try, just be a good person. Be a good, don't yeah. be a, you know, don't, don't be a diva. And, you know, um, so... So, yeah, I don't know that it's revealed anything new about myself. It's just reinforced those things. Yeah. And it really, it, it can either magnify those things or you can get a, a more of a handle on it, especially, you know, being sensitive and all that. Because, you know, I think comedy is really the last totally unsafe space you can be in. You know, I mean, music, right. music's pretty safe in in most cases and um acting is so insular and, and you know even even improv's pretty safe but stand-up comedy with you and the mic up there that is not safe there's there's no there's nothing safe about it you can say one thing and never be able to do comedy again um you you're only as good as your last joke. And I, I, I think that that's cool. I, I love doing things that really get me out of my comfort zone and um, yes. help me, help me grow yes. as a person. Yes. And I stepped out of my comfort zone by doing something I was afraid of mm-hmm. and, and getting up there. And the odd thing is I might get a little nervous before I go on. And this is weird because in other interviews they've been like everybody gets nervous. Walter, the minute I hit the stage, I'm not nervous. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm at home, mm-hmm. and uh, that is something I never thought. Because like when I was doing a play and I was about to enter, make my first entrance, I'd be very nervous mm-hmm. or get on stage. When I was singing a song to an audience, you know, because I would sing, mm-hmm. I would be nervous, you know, and uh, I don't know what it is but I'm totally at home once I pick up that mic. Mm-hmm. So that is something I developed or learned about myself. Yeah. And, and from the clips I saw, one of the things that I admired is that you play to the whole room. You are talking, you can, the whole room knows that you are talking to them 
And that was that was something that was I didn't even notice how bad I was at that <laughs> and, and, until I started filming myself. And I'm like, oh, my God, it, it just looks like I'm the only person I care about in that room is the microphone. And uh, and so I uh, that's yes. one of the things. And so I noticed that yeah. about comedians now who really understand that, you know, you got to talk to the back of the room for everybody to hear you. And, and it's, it's a, you you can be kind of low energy, but you still have to hit the back of the room so that everybody knows. Well, thank you for noticing that. And that part comes naturally. What didn't come naturally. And what I think is a good lesson for people is I would sometimes just start cold. And I had a couple more experienced comics after a set say, Walter, you got to um, acknowledge the room. Mm-hmm. You got to do something, especially if it's an unusual place. Like I did a show outdoors in Philly, mm-hmm. and we were on the street 20 feet away from the nearest audience member. And there was like trucks unloading bales of hay and shit. Yeah. <laughs> and after my set, which didn't go great, a more experienced comic goes, you're good, but you got to acknowledge it. You got to say, hey, we're outside. Isn't this weird? Yeah. You know, try to establish some commonality. And the same thing, I did a kind of rural bar mm-hmm. in, in rural Maryland, and I kind of jump right in. And afterwards, this younger comic who tours a lot, she says, no, 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 no. You got to acknowledge them first mm-hmm. somehow. And I'm like, ooh, when I try to do that with people who are different from me, sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think that's a really good tip. And I think you mentioned, I'm really interested to hear you say that you like the stuff about my kids and my parents and my age, because I started off with a very satirical uh, comedy background. Like mm-hmm. I love late night, I love SNL and Monty Python and Second City. And, you know, that's what I was weaned on my whole life yeah and now there's a move you know while 40 years ago just general observational humor satire um the the would have worked there is an emphasis on authenticity and telling your own story yeah and i i notice that the younger comics are good at that yeah you know mm-hmm. and, and you know, and and when I took a class at Flappers in Burbank, L.A., you know, they said, you got five minutes, you better fucking tell them who you are and what you're about. Yeah. You know, before you start doing anything else. And so so I've had to gravitate toward that mm. because, you know, my my instinct is to do satire. Yeah. Political, cultural. My instinct is late night. Yeah. Yeah. TV. More. Yeah. Broad. And yeah. And, right. And, yeah. I, right. I, I dig yeah. that because I was a big Monty Python guy too. And, oh, yes. And, and I knew you, I knew you would be. Yeah, and that you know, I just had to. And Faulty Towers, I I, I like Faulty Towers more than Monty Python, but um, but yeah, it, that type of humor. I mean, I don't ever plan on reaching reaching those heights, but uh, just, <laughs> just doing the personal stuff is easier. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. You gotta, yeah, that's interesting for me. It's a little, you know, I got to force myself to mine, to mine that stuff and, and try to hope that people find it yeah. interesting. You know, Sebastian Maniscalco, who I love, uh-huh. you know, um, and I wish I had that accent, you know, yeah. that sort of Chicago Italian sort of New York. Yeah. For some reason. <laughs> but I remember him saying at first he would just talk about Whole Foods or Uber. Uh-huh. And then he started talking about his father. He got bigger, and audience started to connect with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I think that's, that's great. A- well, man, I appreciate you doing the show. This is uh, this is great, oh, yeah. and I learned a lot. And I, I just love deep diving you guys and uh, finding out what's beneath the surface uh, and uh, um, finding out what you know makes makes you guys succeed and i just love seeing somebody that's my age that is uh going going through all the shit too but uh yeah that's fun so uh, that's why i gravitated toward the podcast because not only do i like what you do but you're also similar age and sensibility sorry i cut you off yeah that's cool that's cool um yeah and i appreciate that i i um 
get I get some feedback and I, I, I get some negative feedback because I stammer like an idiot sometimes, but uh, yeah, and I don't edit. You know, I I'm not gonna okay. edit out my stammering. I don't have time for that. So I didn't notice that at all. Yeah. But okay. But yeah, that's that, that's just just how I am. And um but but um you know, I really appreciate you being on the show and I'm definitely when I visit my daughter next because we're gonna be there a couple times uh in May. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm probably going to see if we can have a drink. Um, and, oh, that would be great. Yeah. That'd be great. Ma maybe and me, you, you and Sandy to, can get together or something. You, me, and Sandy. And if you want to go up it sometime here, let me know. Yeah. And maybe I can hook you up. But, you know, I can guarantee you there are at least two mics that yeah. you'll be able to yeah. get. <laughs> one of them is Evil Bad Kitty. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So if people want to find you online and find uh, the shows that you're doing, what's the best way to get to you? So all of my socials are basically, you know, at Walter J. Gottlieb, mm -hmm. um, except for Facebook, which is just Walter Gottlieb. So okay. I'm on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and I need to get a comedy website. I haven't gotten around to doing that. I need to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. Thanks so much for being on the show, and uh, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you're out there plugging away and actually creating things. So creating that open right. mic, that's, you know, that's, that's a positive thing. And I think that, you know, I, I, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of new improvs being built. Um, and I, I think comedy is going to go more towards the uh, one nighter bar shows. And uh, the, that is something that is, everybody's just going to have to get used to. Yeah, I mean, certainly, especially outside of New York and L.A. Yeah. yeah. And even in New York, you know, danger fields mm -hmm. close down. Yeah. And, you know, um, probably aren't as many clubs in L.A. as there used to be in the golden days. I don't know. But but I think you're right about that. Yeah. It's become more atomized and entrepreneurial and yeah. democratic. Yeah, little great. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for doing the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for asking, man. I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, great.